Good morning. Um, this reading is taken from Luke 9, 51 to 62 from the NRSV version. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him. On their way, they entered a village of Samaritans to make ready for him, but they did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. When his disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to command the fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. They went on, the, went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me. But he said, excuse me, but he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom. This was taken from Luke 9, 51 to 62. Thank you. Thanks, Leslie. So today we start uh, our series on Lent. And we're using the theme of moving toward Jerusalem, uh, which is from a verse in Luke 9, this verse right here. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. So it starts a new sequence in the book of Luke. Uh, just a little verse, you might be like a catch-throwy kind of verse. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Taken up is a reference to the passion, to his death, to his resurrection, to his ascension. So it's, it's code, la code language almost. He's looking forward to being taken up. And he sets his face to, with determination and he's resolute. Uh, one of the translations is, is that he sets his face and he is resolute about it. So he is making his way to Jerusalem and he knows that's the passage and of the cross and what that means for him. And he's determined to go on it. So if you look at this um, <clears throat> map, for Jesus' ministry, it's interesting, he starts his ministry in Galilee, which is, um, let's see, right there. So that's the Sea of Galilee, that's the Dead Sea, that's the Mediterranean. Jesus begins in the area of Galilee. So all of Luke up to this point is Jesus in Galilee. And he's there because the population is more mixed. It's not just Jewish, it's Jewish and Greek. It goes all the way back to the exile, the peoples who uh, populated that area. They were brought in. So <laughs> they're a little more, <clears throat> excuse me, open to the gospel. They're a little more receptive. So Jesus goes there initially because he wants a group that will uh, be open, more open. But with this, there's a change. 
And now he's going to go from up there, <laughs> and he's going to move down to here, which is Jerusalem. So he's going to come down into this area, which is Jewish, which is more hardline, and they're not very open to what Jesus is saying. And so what's interesting is that the quickest way is just to come straight down from Galilee down to Jerusalem. That's the quickest way. That's the easiest way. But the Jewish people from Galilee normally go across the Jordan and down and then back. And they do that because this area in between is Samaria, and the Samarians were enemies. And so most of the Jewish people would go to the extra effort of going across, down, and back. Jesus decides to go right down. He's going right down through enemy territory. So why does he do that? Why does he set this final ministry, going to the cross, and he begins by going into enemy territory? And so there are two stories going on here. There's this first opening story, and then the second story, which is our emphasis on the three units of following. Jesus offers some friendship. That's essentially what's happening. Most of the Jewish people are going out, going around, and coming back. They don't want to go through. They don't want the hassle. They don't want the resistance. And that's exactly what happens to him. He goes down there. He sends his disciples. Remember, he's traveling with 12 to 20 people. You can't just show up in a little town and, and expect you know, all the accommodation you need and everything else. There's a, there's a whole troop that's going with Christ. And so he sends his disciples ahead, and sure enough, they are not received. It probably was quite rude that, say, well, you know, you're going to Jerusalem. You're not, you're not us. You're the enemy. So much so that we read that James and John, who are called the sons of thunder, obviously uh, emotional uh, people who kind of get right into it, and we can imagine whoever those people might be, they want to call down fire from heaven. They obviously thought that could happen. Elijah had done that many years ago. They asked the question to Christ, well, shall we call down on fire, call fire from heaven and just like burn all these people up? Look how rude they are to you. you you're the son of God. You're Jesus, our friend, our Messiah. They can't be rude like that. You ever have any encounters with rude people this week? Sometimes we want to call down fire from heaven. Maybe not that much, right? But you, you, you want to do something. I don't know whatever that might be. And Jesus' response is, no, we're not going to do that. You know, instead, we're just going to move on. He extends friendship. They're rejected, but he moves on. Carries on through Samaria. But it's interesting that he doesn't hold on to any grudges. Doesn't make resentment part of his life. He doesn't carry it with him. He offers friendship. The friendship is spurned, and he carries on. And so for us, the challenges, you know, the challenges of doing ministry in a needy area. Somebody gets uptight. I don't know what all this was about, throwing rocks through the windows, through the nursery. I mean, they, somebody was really obviously quite intent <laughs> on doing something. But hey, you know, that, 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 that happens. And our response, as Darlene said, is not to be angry, not resentful. Maybe we'll find out who that person is sometime and what is our response. 
So that's what Jesus is demonstrating just in this simple little story. We're not calling down fire, which they could do, Jesus could do. Instead, they move on, they offer friendship. So that's the first story. It sets up the movement towards Jerusalem. Interesting that this is the first story. Why start there? But that's where Jesus does, and that's what Luke says. That goes on to three issues of following. So we'll look at these texts as they go. The first one, somebody comes up to Jesus and says, I want to follow you. I want to join your group. Jesus' response is this. I'll read it. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus' response is not yes or no. It's simply, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man, which is a reference to himself, has nowhere to lay his head. So what is Jesus saying when he makes that statement? I want to follow you. He tells this story. I think, number one, it's saying we have to count the cost. It's easy to say, I want to follow you. Jesus knows that he's going to Jerusalem to go to the cross. This person says, I want to follow you. Has no idea of what's coming up in the next number of weeks. Jesus says, count the cost. It's not a way of comfort. It's not a way of convenience. It's a challenging way, whatever that might be. I think particularly along two lines. The first of all is security, and the second is identity. Count the cost. In what way? Well, if you're going to follow me, then I need to be number one in your life. You have to count the cost. In our society, security is a big, big deal. We want security, do we not? You want security. You don't want to live in fear. You want to feel like somehow you have things under control somewhat. But if you follow Jesus, you're not necessarily getting all this security. The whole bunch of them are going to be disbanded in a little while. They're going to be running from Jesus. And so I think when we say count the cost, well, how does that play into our lives on this issue of security? We want whatever it is. We don't like risks. Jesus says, count the cost. He's, he says in another place, there's a story where he uses the parable, hey, if you're going to build a building, figure out how much it's going to cost before you just jump in. Because otherwise you're going to get into it and halfway through it you're going to run out of money you're not going to be able to finish it. So know what you're going to do. And secondly, there are identity issues. We find our identity often in what's going on in how the world evaluates us, how the world sees us, how are we looked at. So as Tamara was saying, you know, how many likes do I get? I'm on Instagram. I hardly ever use it, but I, I follow some people who, and I like to see their, what's going on. So I, I am on it. I don't post very much. And I can tell you, nobody's following me, all right? <laughs> Absolutely nobody. My kids follow me, so thank you very much. <laughs> Beth doesn't even follow me, all right? So Charlotte follows me. Thank you, Charlotte. Woo! 
But you know what I mean? If you're, if you're counting likes, it's, it's a tough world out there. You know what I mean? It's tough. So identity issues are fairly important. And when we follow Jesus and when we make ourselves known like that, that's going to interact a little bit on how people see us. Is there enough evidence, Tamaritha, <clears throat> that someone would say you're a Christian? And so... Oftentimes there may not be, but it's because of identity issues, right? How I want to be seen, how do I want to be evaluated? So Jesus says to them, hey, count the cost. He doesn't say it exactly, but he tells this little story to make that point. That's the first one. This time, Jesus says to somebody, I want you to follow me. Woo! This goes up another level altogether. I want you to follow me. I want you to become part of my band of disciples. I want you to identify with me and walk with me. That is big. This person must have been pretty cool, pretty impressive for Jesus to say this in some way in Jesus' mind. To another he said, follow me. But he said, this is the person, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Doesn't seem totally unreasonable if the person actually is dying. If the person is just waiting for another 10 years, it's not so good. Jesus says to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. So we might hear that and say, well, like that's a tough response, right? Particularly if the guy's father is right on the verge of death. You might say, well, that's, that seems a bit over the top. So we don't know the details. We don't know what's going on there. But Jesus' response is, let the dead bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. So following me has more, is to have more strength in your life than simply our cultural obligations to those around us. Burying the dead in the Jewish culture was a big deal. Even if you were a priest, you could, and you never touched bodies. That was against the rule, dead bodies, anything dead. Then... Here, if you were a priest, you could, you could do it. You could take care of who your, you know, your father, your mother, whoever the loved ones are, you were allowed to do that. Jesus says, let the dead bury their dead. It seems legitimate. What's going on? Kingdom demands supersede what the culture is about. It's really about priorities, particularly for this person. I want you to follow me. So you're now about, if you follow me, you're joining in on being proclaimers of God's kingdom. Not just me, but all of us together. That's to be your focus. Priorities. So the second one is priorities. First one's count the cost. Second one is, what are your priorities? What are my priorities? As I follow Jesus. As you follow Jesus through this season of Lent, as you go through 2020, right? A whole new year ahead of us still. What's going to happen in your life in 2020? Hopefully lots of good things, lots of exciting things. But we're not to forget that my number one priority is to actually follow Jesus if I'm a Christian. Christian means follower of Christ. In Antioch, they were first called Christians. We're in that stream. We follow Christ. We are Christians. So am I really making him number one in my life or not? That's 
the second story here. Another said, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus is resolute. Jesus is hard-hitting here, isn't he? He's saying, man, we're not playing games. I'm going to the cross. If you identify with me, it's serious business. If you're going to go, then we got to go. Person wants to delay it for whatever reason. Again, at one level, it might be, hey, I want to go to my parents and say, hey, I'm off for a while, for a few years, and see you later. That would seem not unreasonable. But Jesus is saying, you say you want to follow me. Let's not delay it. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. You know, one of the realities in Christian walk, I think, is if you feel some sort of call, meaning if you feel something in terms of responding to Jesus, it's tragic to put that off. If the Spirit is moving in your life and you feel this, this is the time to go. When you feel it, is the time to go. As soon as you start playing games or I start playing games and putting it off and say I want to think about it a little bit more, it's going to be harder to make that next step to go. It's just the way it is. C.S. Lewis tells the story of a student <coughs> who's in the library and he's been thinking about spiritual things and he's coming up to make a decision for Christ and then something flashes through his mind and it's, you're hungry. Let's go have lunch, eat your lunch, and then come back after lunch, and then let's think about this a bit more. He's on the verge of making a commitment. Gets hungry, the voice tells him. He goes off, has his lunch. By the time the lunch is finished, he doesn't want to go back and do it. That's C.S. Lewis telling the story. If we feel the call, let's go, man. If you feel Jesus working in your life, you got to go. Don't put it off, seriously, because you may not. You might decide, I'll do it later. I don't want to get baptized now. I'm going to get baptized later in 10 years after I have whatever I want to do, after I have my good times, then I'm going to come back 10 years from now and get baptized. That's a bad strategy, all right? If you're thinking about it, then let's go. That's what Jesus is saying. He says, he uses a proverb here, if you're plowing, I'm not a farmer, but the books say, if you're plowing, you've got to keep going in the way you're plowing. If you turn over your shoulder and keep following the ox, it's going to start going over everywhere, all over the field. You've got to keep looking in the way you're going. That's what Jesus says. He tells a little proverb. It's about commitment. It's about the radical call. To be, to be followers of Jesus, the cost of discipleship. That's Bonhoeffer's phrase. There's a cost. You know the story about Bonhoeffer. He was in Germany during the Second World War. And at one point, it seems that he and a bunch of other people uh, had a campaign to actually assassinate Hitler. It's hard to know exactly how much evidence he had in terms of participating, but that's how the story goes. They find out, of course, and the whole bunch of them are put in prison, and they're going to be hanged. And so there's a cost, 
He did that because he felt that this man was so terrible, something had to be done. But beyond that, it was a commitment to follow Jesus. Didn't work out. On the way to the gallows, he said to a, to a soldier or one of the guards, you think that this is the end of me, but this is not the end. This is actually just the beginning. He goes and he's hung. The cost of discipleship. A radical call. And so Lent is about that. Lent is about this radical call. No putting it off. And so, by the way, if you want to get baptized, we're going to have a baptism before the end of April. If you're thinking about it, then you talk about it. You come forward. Better to go with it. Don't put it off. Barclay says, The Christian marches on, not to the sunset, but to the dawn. The watchword of the kingdom is not backwards, but forwards. To this man, Jesus did not say follow or return. He said, I accept no lukewarm service and left the man to make his own decision. Are you going to follow or not? The church in Laodicea, we know in Revelation, right? The writer says, John says, that they're lukewarm. You're not hot, you're not cold, you're tepid. I hate it, Jesus says. It's his voice. I hate it when you're like that. Be hot. He's not saying be cold, really. But I don't want this lukewarm stuff. I have a bath every night. I'll tell you my hygiene stories, okay? I have a bath every night. And when I hop in my bath, I like it hot, man. I don't want any lukewarm stuff. I want it hot. I want to get in there and feel it. Woo! It's lukewarm, I just fire the hot water on, man, and go for it. That's one of the things you can do when you live in the great country of Canada where we have so much water, all right? Anyway, I probably shouldn't do it like that. But hot, not lukewarm. So the story is about that. Let's follow Jesus. Let's know him. Let's walk with him as we go forward in this area of Weston. So how do we summarize it? Going forward, three points. There is a cost. Count the cost. You're going to follow Jesus. There's going to be a cost. If there is no cost going on, then maybe no one's seen enough evidence in your life. There's going to be some reaction to following Jesus. Not everybody's going to love it, so there is a cost. Number two, keep our priorities straight. The kingdom of God supersedes everything else. Follow him, number one. That's number one. Thirdly, it's this radical intentionality. I want, I determine, I'm resolute to follow him. So Lent is about that. That's the beginning. And all of us probably have some feeling that, hey, I need to do more. Well, that's okay. Well, you've got Lent, I've got Lent. Let's make a statement in terms of our own lives and who we are and how we want to know him and love him. In Jesus' name, amen.